Good evening, everyone. We are gathered here tonight as a church family to kind of walk through and better understand what Christ went through for us. And Steve's going to talk about that in a little bit. You probably noticed when you walked in that you didn't get a bulletin, a normal thing to kind of read along. That was intentional. We want you to focus on Jesus tonight. We don't want, we thought rather than have you being looking down and reading something, it would be better for you to look up at the cross, to close your eyes, to reflect, to stand up and worship, to raise your hands. Whatever you feel, that's what this service is for. So uh, uh, you can stand if you'd like, or you can sit, but we're going to worship the Lord right now. All together, 
Together wonderful, all together wonderful to me. You're all together wonderful to me. Please be seated. Well, we welcome you to this Monday Thursday service. This is one of three. Uh, that comprise Holy Week. If you're in the Greek Orthodox tradition, you'd include a Saturday vigil as well. But seven weeks ago, or six weeks ago rather, we gathered here for Ash Wednesday. And that uh, was the launch for uh, this incredible season that we call Lent. A time of reflection, a time of uh, humility, a, a time of simplifying your life to make more room for God. Uh, we live lives that uh, take our breath away for all the wrong reasons. We're breathless because we are so hurried. We are so busy. It's, it's part of our American pride. It's part of what we aspire to, to be so busy that we can explain to everybody how full our life really is. But until we take time to uh, not walk away from it all, but in the midst of it all, to stop and recognize the beauty of the Lord, we realize he's the one who's meant to take our breath away by filling us with his spirit, uh, by giving us the, the deep rest, the deep renewal, uh, the renewed vision of who he is. And so these three services in Holy Week, uh, Maundy Thursday, uh, Good Friday, uh, and Easter Sunday, are all meant to bring together in a very deep and profound way something that we gloss over uh, typically in the Protestant tradition. And that is to say, what is the, what is the core? What is the core of this season? I had to get a new battery for my watch today. I walked into a, uh, the little jewelry store down there in the middle of the village and it was filled with all this stuff, just packed full of stuff. It's been there for, I don't know, 40 or 50 years. And the guy said, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Look at all the Easter stuff we have. And I looked around. I said, bunnies, eggs. I said, where's the Easter stuff? <laughs> and I know him well enough. He started laughing. He said, yeah, 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 yeah. But not everybody has the same view Do you do. I said, what, what view is there to have of Easter? I said, you should have a little card next to all these expensive eggs, uh, next to all this expensive other stuff with Easter bunnies and other visions of spring that says, hey, there's more to the story. And he starts laughing. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what can I do for you, you know, before, I, before I kick you out of my store? So that's what we're here to do. Uh, we're here to, perhaps for you, the first time saying, I don't know any of this. We want to fill in the content for you. We want to take your breath away with the content that we talk about tonight and tomorrow night and that we celebrate on Sunday. Also, in this season, it's a season to be generous. Uh, unlike Christmas, when we're generous for all the mixed reasons. <laughs> I won't say the wrong reasons, but all the mixed reasons. In this season, we want to be generous with uh, an eye to thinking about who's going through a really difficult time. Their life is simple for reasons that we wouldn't choose. It's so stripped down because they're so pinned down by the pressures of life financially. And so each uh, Holy Week, and throughout the year as well, but during Holy Week, Tonight and tomorrow night, we, we contribute to a benevolence offering. It's not part of our budget. It's simply what the people of God give. 
And if you want to contribute to that, when you leave today, as you leave going out silently tonight, uh, you can, you'll see the ushers will have some baskets, and, and you'll give that money if you want to give whatever to them. All that money, 100% of it, uh, goes to help people in desperate need financially in our congregation and related to those in our community. And so every penny is well spent, and part of the team that, that administers that on our behalf invites people into a deep consideration of how they got to where they are and how we can help them get out of where they are. So it's not just giving money. It's using that money that you give generously to help them take a breath to realize that God wants to fill them with His Spirit and help them maybe do some things differently going forward in their life. So that's what we're here to do tonight. And so, Lord Jesus, again, we thank you uh, for your incredible presence among us, that the promise you've made that where people gather in your name to worship, you will be there. And so, Lord, thank you that this isn't just an event that we invite you to, but you've gathered us together in your name to sit at your feet, to listen carefully through your word, sung and prayed and spoken, to remind us who you are and what you've done, and who we are and what you've done for us, and what you've equipped and empowered us to do in your name. This is our prayer. We make it in your name, the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. This reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him.
21, 22, 1 to 6. Now the festival of unleavened bread, called the Passover, was approaching, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus. For they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. chapter 22 verses 7 through 13 then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed Jesus sent Peter and John saying go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover where do you want us to prepare for it they asked he replied as you enter the city a man carrying a jar of water will meet you follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house the teacher asks where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover.
22, verses 14 to 24. When the hour came, Jesus and his disciples reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Thirteen twenty-one through 30. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another, at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, What you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night.
uh, these songs that we're singing and the music we're hearing foreshadows what we'll talk about in more detail and more depth uh, tomorrow night. But this evening, we gather uh, in the love of Jesus. Uh, let that sink in. We gather in the love of Jesus. This is the, uh, the intensity of this week. Uh, this is a night about God's love, uh, spoken, commanded. Uh, tomorrow night uh, will be a night of God's love demonstrated. Uh, and and there, there are different kinds of intensity. One is, I, I don't think I can do that. And the second that we celebrate tomorrow night is, why would you do that? We'll talk about that tomorrow night. But this uh, word mandi uh, is, is not a common word for us. It's confusing for most people. Uh, but mandatum is a Latin word for command. Uh, the French version is mandé, and the British version became mandi. And so it's about command. Uh, Thursday was the night of Jesus' last supper. Friday is typically the Passover, uh, but as you know, they wanted the body buried before uh, Passover began, so that lets us surmise that it was Thursday night that they took this meal together that was normally the Passover meal on Friday night. And so a new command, a new command, a new command. Jesus says this three times during the course of this meal. There's two parts to the meal. There's the part of the meal where they were eating, but then as you read uh, in the Gospels, you'll realize that the, the meeting that they have around the supper goes on much long after they've had the supper. And so a new command I give you, he says in John 13, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And then again, later in the evening, and, and John uh, records this in John 15, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And then uh, again, this is my command, love each other. So in the context of this love, Monday Thursday is about recommitting ourselves to the love of Jesus Christ. This is what the Christian life, this walk with Christ is about. It's not, I mean, his gift to us, culminating on the cross, being celebrated in the resurrection, uh, being confirmed in Pentecost and his ascension into heaven, um, is a done deal. But the part that's unfinished is us. We are in development. We're in this constant process of turning, turning, turning to the Lord. And so Monday, Thursday, like, like every Sunday, actually, is a time to say, okay, Lord, I want to turn back to you. I'm so easily distracted. I'm turning back to you. And so it's about recommitting ourselves to the love of Christ. Monday, Thursday is also about remembering that you belong to the great, the great Lion of Judah. Uh, this is part of the promise of God, that from the tribe of Judah would come the Messiah, the Savior. There's this As Aslanic-like thing going on here. Aslan, the great lion, captivates our imagination. And you belong to that tribe. This is the tribe you belong to. This is your birthright. This is his legacy to you. Monday, Thursday is also about remembering who you are, not who you used to be. It's easy to see ourselves as how we used to be, trapped in our sin with no hope. If somebody said, give me a reason for the hope that is within you, you'd say, I have no hope, but I'm counting on luck and good fortune. Monday, Thursday is about remembering who and what you are becoming in Christ. This is a hard one. You're kidding me. I'm becoming something better than I am. How's that going to happen? It's, it's taking a long time. Uh, but it will be that you will become something you could have never imagined being. Oh, just to be that, I tell you. But, you know, <laughs> They wondered if I could get between the stage here and the uh, lectern, and it's hard to hold your breath and talk at the same time, I can tell you that. So if this is a new commandment, what's new about this commandment? Love is the great commandment. Jesus already confirmed that earlier in his ministry when he was stumped by one of the teachers of the law. Hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? 
And of course, you know, he said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He did put it together in a way that, that was not necessarily common, but it coincided with what everybody thought it should be. He takes it to a whole other level, and so that's why he could say a new command. Choosing love as the authentic characteristic of Jesus' disciples. It's not power, it's not influence, it's not control, it's not prestige, it's not knowing the Bible, though that's important. It's not how often you go to church without missing a Sunday or a, a, a day in, in private worship, though that's absolutely essential. It's choosing the authentic characteristic called love that defines Jesus' disciples. Words alone won't cut it, but love cuts the heart of everything. The question is simply this, do you want to learn to love? Do you want to learn to love? Most of us suffer from a, a horrible trait. Because we've talked about something, we feel like we've done something about it. We need to learn how to love. It's natural for us to want love. It's natural for us to want to express love. Uh, but then it becomes tricky. And so rather than trying to love, God invites us to train under his love. You can't try to run a marathon, but you can certainly train for one. So Jesus tells us the secret to doing this, as I have loved you. Keep your eyes on me, and I'll show you how to love, just like you. You'll be your version of my love. So Jesus is our teacher, and students become like those who teach them, do they not? Students become like those who teach them. That's why when a, a Jewish student was going to pick a, a rebbe, a rabbi, a teacher, they were very careful because they knew whomever I pick is what I will become. Can you imagine when Jesus chose the disciples, uh, they felt incredibly blessed. That's who I want to be like. That's who I want to be like. And now at the end of three years, he's saying, love them like I love you. The first part would be impossible. The second one is entirely possible. Oh, it's your love in me that allows me to love like you. And you see that we, we, we come to understand, of course, through Pentecost, the Holy Spirit will empower us and God's word will inform us. His word is not enough. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that conforms us to the image the character of Christ. But without the word, we don't know what love looks like. Without the word of God, love defaults into something like this. Well, this is what I feel like doing. I feel like doing what is really pleasing to me profitable to me, uh, I don't feel like doing what's costly or suffering or sacrificial to me. And then the assurance we can say um, from our own life experience is that life will give us opportunities to apply the lessons that we need to learn. Love will test, uh, life will test us every day in our capacity to love, whether it's to love the Lord our God, whether it's to love, love our neighbors, whether it's to love ourselves. And so it's a call to love as Christ loves you. This is an image of the, uh, the Good Samaritan, really a man we, call the, we should call the good neighbor. We're going to look at this in depth um, in our series called Thrive Following Easter and then again this summer. Uh, let me give you a description of Jesus' love. It's Paul writing to the Corinthians. It's a famous love chapter. Most of, most of us are so used to hearing this in the context of weddings. Uh, that, it, that we don't often think about, well, where did Paul get the, the inspiration for this? Certainly from God. But who was the role model he had in his mind? 
If you read this at all, you'd say, there's only one person who's ever walked the planet who's loved like this. This is a description, though it's not stated that way. This is implied as a description of Jesus's love. Does that not shock you? Does that not put in a whole new fresh perspective? As I was looking at this all through the week, I kept thinking, uh, I just like this so much for Janet. <laughs> I just like this for everybody I know and work with and hang out with. I just think it's such a great thing for them. Uh, me, not so much. Uh, and, and I'm thinking, well, Paul, why did you come up with this list? And I thought, oh, of course. He's describing Jesus. This is the love of Jesus put in specific terms. Patient, kind, not envious, not boastful, not proud, does not dishonor others, not self-seeking, not easily angered, able to forgive and forget, does not delight in evil, rejoices with the truth, protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres, never fails. His death on the cross was not a fail. It was a fulfillment. This is the love. This is the love that he wants to put in us. And so the nobility of God's love transforms us into a better version of ourselves because there's nothing better than love. Faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. So what is true nobility? It's not a title in front of your name. Lord this or sir that. Uh, a friend of ours uh, was knighted as, as a lord. I can guarantee, he's a, he's a fantastic person, um, but I can guarantee he wasn't a better lover after the queen put that sword on his shoulder. It's not a title that lifts us up. It's the Lord himself who lifts us up. So he gives us the nobility that comes from his grace, his truth embedded in us, his character transforming us. Yes, we're new creations in Christ, but there's so much we have to learn. And so the nobility of his love transforms us into a better version of ourselves. And I couldn't help but think of Isaiah saying this in Isaiah 32, 8. The noble make noble plans, and by noble deeds they stand. So as you finish out this week and to turn the corner from tonight and tomorrow into uh, celebrating the risen Lord on Sunday, as we go into this series called Thrive about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what does it mean to be a learner, an apprentice of Jesus, I would say to you, take this list. Take this list to say, Lord, this is a noble list. And because I aspire to be a noble person, that is a son of the living God, I am a son. You are a son or a daughter of the king. You have an applied conferred nobility on you by virtue of the name of jesus you are a child of the king and what do the noble do they make noble plans lord i want to learn from you that's the best plan you can make and what happens in these noble plans they develop noble deeds because out of our beliefs come our behaviors out of this not just information process but in this transformation process we start to do the things that jesus did because Jesus is doing them in us and through us. The noble make noble plans, and by noble deeds they stand. As we come to the table of the Lord, uh, as, as I want to invite the folks who are going to be serving us communion to come forward, and they'll take uh, some of this matzah, uh, unleavened bread, uh, gluten-free unleavened bread, as they take the cup. Uh, we heard the words read earlier, Jesus took some unleavened bread and said this is my body given for you do this in remembrance of me and likewise he took the cup and having blessed it and he, he we got a little bit of the English translation of the Hebrew blessing when Jesus said I will not drink from the fruit of the vine 
again. I love the blessing. Baruch atah Adonai Elohenu Melech HaOlam. Praise be to you. Blessed be you, O Lord and King of the universe. Horei pri And for the fruit of the vine. This cup represents the covenant of Jesus' blood. The cup of Elijah is what it was called. Never drunk at any Passover to this very day. And Jesus himself drank from it. And then Jesus offered it to them saying, this is being fulfilled in your midst. And so it is. And so we celebrate this. If you believe in Jesus, you are welcome to receive this bread and this cup. If you don't believe in Jesus, we, we honor your presence here by not imposing this on you. Uh, but if you believe in Jesus, no matter what faith tradition uh, uh, you come from, if you come in the name of Jesus, you're welcome to receive the bread and the cup. And so simply go to the place closest to you. Lord Jesus, we recognize your presence in this place among your people. We thank you for these simple elements of bread, a cup, your body, your blood. In a mysterious way, you're present in these. And so, Lord, we recognize our absolute need for your absolute grace. We come in the, in the love of Jesus, knowing that you accept all those who come in your name. And we thank you for your love and pray that this would become part of who we are. Not simply emulating or pretending or aspiring to your love, but actually learning to live it one day at a time as you lead us and guide us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So come receive communion whenever you are ready.
a reading from John 13, 31 through 38. When he was gone, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now. Where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Grandeur has quaked before. Moved by the sound of his voice, sings that are shaken and stirred, can be calmed and broken for my reward. Through it all, through it all, my eyes are. for me to not believe even when my eyes can't see this mountain that's in front of me will be thrown into the mist of the sea
Luke 22, 39 through 46. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Luke 22, 47 through 53. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the high priest, to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him, am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. Continuing in Luke 22, verses 54 through 62. Then seizing Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. 
Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. After this next song, we're all going to sing it together. And then we'd like to just leave in silence and reflection.